This is Nuri Shahin, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. And welcome to episode number 200 of the Yellow Wall podcast. And know your ears do not deceive you. I am your host for today, old school, Matthias. And of course, I am joined by Stefan Busco. Hello, Stefan. Hello, Matthias. It's such a pleasure to have you on and to be freed from all duties such as editing. Yeah, yeah. We're... <laughs> so I, I, I will have way more mishaps than usually because I will not be there to edit them out. <laughs> yeah, we're going ultra old school. In fact, uh, going all the way back to episode one. Over five years ago, we have Matthew Gerard. Hello, Matt. Hello, how you doing? I feel like uh, Pete Best <laughs> out of the Beatles when he's left because when I was in it, it wasn't so successful. When, when I left it, when sky high. So um, back to original, I say it's Pete Best here. Um, <laughs> glad to be back on the Yellow Wall pod. So yeah, I, don't know, I think I must have done about 110 episodes up to that point, but then life and things like that come in, oh, but it's please. great to be back. You're a Wall pod. You're a Yellow Wall pod legend. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wow, glad you're means, here. That means a lot. So, but I'm still, I'm still supporting Dortmund and, you know, but life comes in, but I know the pod's been doing well. 200 episodes. That's just phenomenal and good hard work by you guys to keep it going because you know it's editing and things like that and we're in different parts of, you, parts of the world so uh, it's good to be on anyway so i'll stop waffling now that's the reason <laughs> i'm taking off in the first place yeah so we've we've got a lot to get to now obviously we're going to do a little look back uh, we've got some questions uh, some stuff to talk about over the last five years and 200 episodes. Um, but we also have stuff that's going on right now with Borussia Dortmund. Of course, we're going to talk about the emphatic 5-0 victory against FC Köln, which was great following that uh, rather, uh, uh, let's say, not so great result against Tottenham last week in the Champions League. But before we get into the obvious debate namely the virtual assistant refereeing. Uh, Matt, I have to say, and I, I tweeted this after the match, that you have to be so happy with the amount of clean sheets we've been able to keep in the Bundesliga so far. Yeah, I, with, with sort of um, a makeshift backline, I suppose, you look at it. A clean sheet, as any manager say, you start from the back and you can go from there. I think Kong didn't have too much um, going forward, and I think they were a bit miffed with the video referee as the game went on. But yeah, so defensively, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Roman Berkey, to be honest, but didn't have much to do against Spurs. He was at fault, I thought, but Socrates uh, still does solid at the back. The, the new players have come in. So, yeah, you can't lose if you don't concede. So there you go. So that's, um, you're on the right footing. So, but again, as you saw against uh, Spurs, if Dortmund can be carved open if they play their attacking football a little bit. So I wouldn't get too carried away, but a clean sheet is always a, a big tick on my book. So, Stefan, you know, this was kind of a match where I know I wasn't on last week, but you guys talked about maybe is it a trap game. Obviously, it wasn't. I think the trap game is still to come. Um, but uh, why was Köln so bad? I mean, is this all because of now they're in the Europa League and they have to deal with it? Or they, it's a lack of confidence because they lost three matches before the Europa League started? Or does it come down to... They're missing their best player in Jonas Hector. Well, there are just so many reasons. And uh, if you hear a lot of noise on my track, no, it's because my dog decided to get up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's all life. Um, I would say that Cologne, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how, how valid the Europa League argument is because they were already losing before the Euro League started even. But of course, uh, losing Jonas Hector is a massive blow. I think in, in, in this game, and I would say we, we saw it in Freiburg, where Freiburg had a man sent off and, and then basically 
yeah, parked the bus. And for Cologne, it was the opposite because they were ju- they just went down after two minutes, and uh, then it's gonna get tough in Dortmund. And yeah, overall, Cologne thus far are not really a side that have a lot of them going. And I think it is still very telling that Anthony Modest is not in that team because John Cordoba was not able to win any battle against Socrates whatsoever. And I remember that Modest, especially against Dortmund, managed very well to hold up the ball up front and, and allow his teammates to, to make a couple of runs and uh, move out of their very defensive shape. And uh, that did not happen with Cordoba up front uh, for Cologne. So I think that's that's my, my main idea why Cologne are bad against Dortmund but to be fair I really do not have a general explanation why things are yeah why the wheels are coming off in Cologne so heavily. Is it a bit like Gladbach? We know when Gladbach got into Europe they had a terrible start as well is it they were so excited to get into Europe has it sort of taken their eye off the, the main thing in the Bundesliga because they've been pretty solid side coming up. It's a bit like Gladbach when they got into Europe and then it all went wrong for them so do you think this you know they know they're not going to win the Bundesliga, so they're putting all their thoughts onto the to Europe, and that's affecting their performances in the league. Well, yeah, I think with Köln, you cannot underestimate the loss of Anthony Modest. Without his goals, they would have been a middling bottom half of the table team. Uh, they have not replaced that at all with John Cordoba, which I never thought was the right replacement. Um, and yeah, I mean there is that hangover for clubs that aren't as deep. Uh, we always see that when a club like Freiburg or Augsburg or Mainz or Frankfurt make it into the Europa League, they tend to struggle in the league. Now, the problem with Köln is they were struggling before the Europa League even started. So I, I think it'll it'll only get worse. The best thing that can happen to them is they crash out. Odds are they're not. They may even qualify for the next round, and, and I think that could spell doom for this season so far for them. But Matt... Peter Bosch is the first Dortmund manager to beat Peter Stöger, the manager of Köln. What have been your thoughts, since you haven't been on this season, uh, about Peter Bosch? Um, okay, I didn't know, you know, I know and we took Ajax last year. He'd had a few jobs around. Uh, Ajax, of course, um, uh, had a good season last season, and you can see where they've started this season. Shows what a good job he's probably did there. Um well, always when, it, when the Dutch coach was uh, appointed, I always thought back to Fred Rutten. I think it wasn't it the who took over back in uh, 2006. Was it around that sort of time or just before that? And what a struggle he was as a coach. So, and I'm trying to think of any successful Dutch coaches in the Bundesliga going forward. I mean, you think about Frank de Boer, who was at Ajax, who just got sacked after four games from Palace. I couldn't think of any particularly successful. Hoop Stevens, um, yeah, Hoop hey, Stevens would be the only one. Oh, Schalke, yeah. yeah, but from that point of view, but it. In the modern era, you'd probably say. So, from that point of view, I didn't think um, from that point of view. But again, he's got a base of a good squad, so that actually helps him. I think to, um, look, the, the transfer business, I think, has been pretty good for Dortmund. Um, he's an up-and-coming coach. Um, he plays the right side of football. So, and after Thomas Tuchel, we sort of um, never really took um, from what I gather to, to the Dortmund fans too much, and um, it was no surprise that he parted company with them. Uh, it's It'll be interesting to see how he goes on. So you think there's other coaches out there who might have got the job, but again, I presume he got the job on the work he did at Ajax and what he can do to, to young sides. So and Dortmund, of course, are a young side. So you've got to give him the benefit of the doubt. And four games gone, ten goals scored, none conceded. Europe, I suppose, is the key element into the competition because, in my eyes, the games against Spurs are basically a double header in that point of view. You're presuming that Real Madrid is going to get through. So when Dortmund plays Spurs. That is the absolute key. If Dortmund have got to beat Spurs now, uh, um, it was Fallon. Otherwise, I think they're probably going out of Europe after that performance. So, um, buying a little bit, maybe not as strong as they once were. Is it, is it going to be eyes on the Bundesliga? But you've got to give him maximum credit so far. He hasn't done too much too wrong, has he? So, um, and a big game tomorrow, of course. So, it'd be interesting to see against Hamburg. So, now, of course, we have to talk about... That second goal. The Socrates goal is just before halftime. Uh, the quote-unquote controversy. After the match, Jörg Schmutke, the sporting director for uh, Köln, said that they would launch a formal protest. 
against even the result as a whole. Today, it came out that Cohen said they will not do that, but they still want at least an inquiry from the DFB into VAR and to clarify the situation, which I don't disagree with. My personal opinion, this is just my opinion, and I'll let you guys chime in. Is <laughs> Here we go. It was a goal. There was no controversy. If you look at it, when because they say, oh, the Cohen players played to the whistle and they stopped playing. But if you actually... Listen to it and watch it. And Terry DeFellin even brought this up. The whistle started to blow as the ball was crossing the line and stopped blowing when the ball had crossed the line because uh, they slow-mo replayed and all that. So by that definition, the players didn't play to the whistle. The play was already over. The ball was already going into the net by the time players would have stopped. And if you watch it, they played. Socrates played. Cohen players played. And... It was not a foul on Timo Hon. It was a typical goalkeeper flop, which you see far too often. And it was a regular goal. And in my opinion, VAR is instituted to change bad calls that would adversely affect a match. Major calls, red cards, penalties, goals. This did exactly what VAR was supposed to do. Now, I think if this was the equalizing goal before the end of the match, then Cohen would not have retracted their protest. Given that it was the second goal in a 5-0 loss, and yes, they say, oh, you, you, you have to say that a goal scored just before the halftime totally changes the match. Dortmund were dominant in the first half. That second goal just kind of underlined that dominant dominance. Dortmund would have won the match. Maybe not 5-0. Maybe it would have been 3-0 or 3-1 or something like that. But Dortmund were clearly the better side. So that's my two cents. I'm glad Cohen retracted their protest because, to me, it was farcical. Uh, Stefan, I will let you chime in with your opinion now. All right. I actually thought that uh, the whistle went before the ball crossed the line. I think I, I rewatched it like three or four times, but, you know, it almost felt simultaneously. So it's really, really hard to tell. And uh, going by that, I can't really fault the referees for maybe mistaking that the ball maybe went already over the line. And of course, if you go by the rules and the regulations, then uh, if you stop the play before the ball crosses the line, there is not a goal to be reviewed. However, uh, I think by now everyone has seen that precedent from 1997 where uh, something similar happened and the uh, DFB, the German FA, ruled for a rematch and then FIFA stepped in and overruled it because it's, they say it was basically still a decision by facts because the referee thought the ball was already in the net uh before he blew the whistle. So I'm 100% sure the same would have happened uh, this time. So either way, although I would have been with Cologne if they had gone through with their protest because they, it would have been in within their rights. And if you are completely pointless <laughs> after four match days because Cologne have, have zero points on the board, then you have to try everything in your power to change that maybe. Uh, however, to end my point, I still think that they would have not won their appeal and hence the 5-0 would have stood, which I think in the end is good because uh, it would have just been too tragic on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang who had a goal chalked off in Freiburg, then one in Hoffenheim and then two against Cologne in three consecutive games. I mean, and, come on, and, would have been... Yeah, I mean, Tottenham's was even worse. Yeah, yeah, but but overall, overall, that would have been four goals chalked off <laughs> in three yeah. games. So, Matthew, what do you think about the whole? Um, it's an interesting one on this, because of course we haven't don't have it in England just yet. Um, is, it, is Germany the only major league doing it at the moment? Are they? My, I don't really watch much of you. Other European Serie A and the Eredivisie are doing it as well. Is we're doing it as well. Have they had any controversial moments like this from this point of view? Going on the basis, I presume all the clubs have had to agree to this, so you can't complain after what's happened. I personally didn't think it was a foul. The goalkeeper, as Matthias said, come out flapped a little bit. You're always going to get a bit of bustling from there. And for me, it was a goal. It's just a, it's just a strange situation how it works on this because the game goes on, then the referee gets something in his ear that gets, gets from him. It'll be very interesting when it comes to England, which I presume it will do because it's coming in the World Cup how it actually works. The, the, from my point of view, 
the referee gets a note, something in his ear saying it's a goal, and then he watches the video. Is that right on these things? The, the, or, the, or does the, the video the, assistant says I'm reviewing it. Right. So Yeah, right. he's actually you... sitting in Cologne, but this time he wasn't a home referee. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so can, again, I haven't really known this. The, can the referee review his own decision? If he thinks it's a mistake, can he get it reviewed? Or can only the video referee review it? Can, just, once the referee's made his decision, he's got to stick to it. Or can he think 10 seconds later, oh, I might have made a mistake? Well, the referee on the, on the pitch actually has a chance to review it himself if he right, really right. must. So yeah. then he can go over to his reviewing yes, booth, yeah. basically, and then look at it. But usually it's just a guy in Cologne who calls yeah, yeah. the shots and then says over the headset and what the uh, decision is. And just as a note, the guy in Cologne is another DFL Bundesliga referee. It's not right. just some, <laughs> I don't know, 18-year-old kid. It is someone who would other. It's almost like instead of having a fourth official, you have a fifth official. Yeah, and he's officials. watching exactly the same pictures we see on yes. the television. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah, there are two guys sitting there. One is the referee, and the other guy is basically a video editor who is very quick to put the highlights on the referee screen, so you can really look at the situation quickly and from all angles. So. If we talk about VAR, I have to say so far, I'm really pleased by how quickly they actually come uh, and, and, and make, a, make a decision because uh, if we looked at the Confed Cup and how unprofessionally yeah, it was handled there, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't working well. But that, in the Bundesliga, I think it's, it's working well. It, it wasn't very successful. So, uh, but maybe, again, the Bundesliga, well, it's a professional league, it probably helps on the tournament from that point of view. And there has been some... Again... There seems to be more VAR going on than I thought there would be, or you think they're trying to make their mark in this as it starts going. Well, as the season goes on, will it sort of quieten down a bit? It, it'll. Everybody will get used to it. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I remember when you know I grew up with instant replay in the NFL, and there were multiple different versions. The current version is one of the best, and there are growing pains with it. Baseball went through it. Um, the NHL and hockey went through it. Cricket and rugby went through it. Um, And if you think of ultra traditional sports and conservative sports, you know, cricket ranks right up there. Um, And the fact that they are technically much more further, just like tennis is, Mm -hmm. uh, this was only a matter of time because think about it without VAR, we would all be discussing how once again, we got robbed of a goal because had there been VAR in the champions league, in that match against Tottenham, it would have been two all. And at two all, that does change the match. There is no doubt about it. Um, Although there was an offside in the, the goal in the build yeah. up to Yamolenko's yeah. goal. So it would so. have been two one either way, you know. So, but it still would have, it would have changed things. The, the most, I guess, the, the one that bothered me more was Freiburg simply because, uh, the referee was watching the advantage. And at some point decided that advantage was over, which was completely ludicrous because when the, the play ball was mid-air flying into the box for crying out loud. Yeah, you you didn't even let the play come to a conclusion at that point. That was a clear refereeing mistake that then isn't reviewable because then obviously he did blow the whistle well in advance. And then you can make the argument that everybody stopped playing, even though they didn't when you watch it. Um, in the Bundesliga, the referee goes to the press after the game. Is that correct? In England, they don't do that. So the, can the referee... Ha- can hardly ever. Hardly ever. But they can They can go to the referee. In extreme they? instances, yeah, they, they, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so it, overall, it's been good. trying to get my head around it, really. Until you... This doesn't happen over here yet. Um, it's going to happen in the World Cup, I think, isn't it? So um, it's probably going to cause a lot more controversy until it sort of... Um, quietens down a little bit so it's just yeah it, i think it is probably is the future and you know you, but again it, it's a difficult one because you know we love talking about football and what could have been and what happened is this now you're talking about was he right was he wrong with the video and so it just adds to more and more um conversations about football but it's it's sort of i'm still trying to get my head around because and again i, I was reading that the dortmund fans weren't particularly happy with the with the referee Video referee changing things around. Was that correct? Uh, I didn't. I read somewhere that they weren't have particularly, you know, that's why they're, they're not impressed with it. They're, they're, I mean, personally, I mean, personally, I mean, I hear people saying, oh, I'm against it because there has to be a room for human error. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
In my opinion, that's bullshit. I mean, a room for human error. I mean, first of all, we're talking about... There's still plenty of room for human oh, error. yeah. I mean, A, there are players playing. There is, you saw the referee not playing an advantage out properly. Um, so referees will still make massive mistakes. But in these instances, this was a goal. It was not a foul. It was, as we would say in the U.S., a bang-bang play, where, where the ball crossing the line versus... Uh, the whistle blowing players did not stop playing. Okay. It's, it's that simple. Um, so in, in this, in this instance, I think it's nonsensical, but I want the right decisions. Is it going to be 100% correct in VAR? No, it's not with instant replay in the NFL either, but it's pretty damn close more so than if we wouldn't have it. And I don't need the discussions about, uh, these kind of egregious refereeing errors, uh, that cost goals, that cost championships, that cost relegations. And we're talking about millions and millions of euros for clubs. No, it, it's right. It belongs in the game. Why should, and I remember these discussions in baseball. Why should baseball, the only major sport in the United States, not have it? Why should football, the biggest sport in the world, not have it when other sports have it? So it's here, it's here to stay. I don't think it's going to go away and it's going to spread to the other leagues. I am, Matt, very curious that once it comes to the Football League and the Premier League in England, you're going to have the massive traditionalist naysayers to a higher degree than we have in Germany, um, especially amongst the tabloid media. Uh, and so it'll be really, really interesting. And then in three, four years, no one's going to talk about it anymore. Oh, it'll be interesting because there'll be um, the old pros will be saying in my time, etc. Like that, we, the, the clearest one was going back to the Premier League was Mane's against Man City the other week. Because mm-hmm. from the from the original challenge, you see, I didn't think it was a a red card, but when if when you see it from the different replay, you definitely think it was. So yeah. that'd have been an interesting debate from that point of view because Liverpool didn't think it was, but it, I think it probably was. But it'd be interesting to see in the Premier League. Um, it's it, it will be interesting because it's going to be cause controversy, but it, it, it gets everybody talking about the game anyway, which, is, which I presume is the most yeah. important thing. Yeah, so. I mean, with VAR, we had exactly such a scene yep. that this this match day where oh, uh, Cohen Castell, yeah. yeah, where Cohen Castell's the Wolfsburg keeper, yeah, basically put his knee through Genter's face, yeah, uh, Gentner's face, and uh, yeah, he has a broken eye socket, broken jaw, broken nose, so um. Yeah, in in my book, that's definitely a, a penalty and and uh, yeah, second yellow for Castiles, no yep. doubt about that. But you can, uh, I I've heard other opinions and I've heard arguments why it's play on. But in in, in my book, uh, as soon as as uh, you rush out of goal like Castiles, you basically uh, yeah risk the the opponent's health. And uh, as soon as that happens, it's a foul because. Yep. Yep. That's just how the rules are. If you risk the player's health with your behavior, be it intentional or not, it's a foul. Yeah, intention does not matter. Mane did not mean to to try to take Ederson's head off, but it happened. Essentially, I mean, he didn't take it off, of course, but <laughs> intention intention doesn't matter. Most fouls are not intentional, uh, and you know, unless you're a Van Bommel, then they're all intentional because <laughs> he was a dirty bastard. Um, but hello, so- explicit tag. <laughs> I don't think that's going back fine. to 2010 World Cup would have been about five eight oh. side if the VAR was in there, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, Nigel De Jong, of course. But <laughs> moving on from VAR, it's all now in the past. Dortmund had an absolute dominant performance. It resulted in goals, unlike against Freiburg, it was also dominant, but didn't result in the goals. Of course, Stefan, we talked. You guys talked a lot about the lack of goals of Freiburg. How happy are you that? Um, we we got five in a match against a team that's considered a good defensive unit. Oh, well, uh, yeah, last season maybe. <laughs> yeah, last season. Well, um, you go on at this point, you're still going on last season's reputation. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny how how sometimes curses switch, right? Dortmund had this winning streak for twelve games against uh, Freiburg, and then didn't win against them and uh, they couldn't beat Cologne since 2012 and then finally they did it. So this basically just flipped. Um, I have to say, before Socrates scored that goal in the second half, I was basically just 
trying to complain with my halftime tweet that Dortmund took the lead after two minutes, but then created very little chances to, uh, yeah, to to score more goals because I thought, uh, yeah, they got a lot of space. But yeah, overall, I think a Dortmund fan has to be very happy with how the second half unfolded. I think Castro said it quite well that uh, they they the players could feel how. Cologne were getting more and more tired and more depleted after their European exploits and Dortmund just had more energy. And uh, I guess now we really have to talk about uh, Yamolenko and maybe yep. his, I don't know if you want to call it synergy, but this understanding or his crossing against, uh, uh, not against, but with, with Maximilian Philipp because uh, those were two very great performances on the, on the field by two new signings. So... I, I would leave it over to you, Matthew or Matthias, but I would say for, from, from this moment on, or at least for this game, it's 55 million well spent. Yeah. Or 40, I, 45. Yeah. I was, I was going to say the same thing. For me, Yarmolenko, man of the match, he was a beast out there. It was like, uh, uh, you know, the Hulk playing against boys at times, how he bossed Kern around and created havoc. Matt, what is, what has been? Yeah, I, I, your I like the way he runs it. the channels as well. You know, he's 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 done a and uh, he's got a good record for uh, his previous club. But yeah, he, you know, he's willing to run the channels. He's strong. Um, he's got good feet. I think it's a it's a it's a good signing. Um, he's proven before, and again, I think he's a player that can excel in the Bundesliga. Again, Philip, I didn't really know much about, but um, a couple of good finishes in that for him as well. So. My concern about Dortmund—they've got very, very similar players in a lot of positions. Always a concern, but if they're going to continue to play the same sort of formation, it's easy to sort of rotate those sort of players in. But yeah, you know, I've been impressed with uh, Yamalenko so far. I think um, he's fitted in well, um, pacey, strong, a typical player in, in a game, and I think he can create chances for Bamiyang. You know, if he can create chances for him, you know he's going to score 25, 30 goals a season. So scoring goals is not going to be a problem for Dortmund. Kept clean sheets as well. It's just a it's the consistency that they've started pretty well. Again, when the games come thick and fast, which they start, of course, now midweek games as well in Champions League, etc., is keeping up that consistency and keeping in touch with Bayern. We know Bayern have lost one game, so Dortmund have already got a little bit of a chance to to move ahead of them. So from that point of view, yeah, it should be a good team. But all in all, the, the, the new players are, I've been impressed with. Well, it definitely breeds confidence uh, for Maximilian Philipp, who... I'd say it was kind of average so far. Getting the goals he needed uh, did well. Yabolenko, I had no doubt about. And that also reduces some of the pressure on someone like Christian Pulisic, who's been so doing so well, and he's still so young, so knows he doesn't have to carry quite as much winger load. And then, of course, Schuller will be back, and eventually Royce will be back. And um, I, I think it looks looks pretty good. Um, Stefan, what did you think of? Because I was a little surprised to see. I mean, a little bit surprised that Zagadou was immediately back at left back, but I thought he actually did quite well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought that he just didn't have too many things to do, but yeah, he is, he looked well against Cologne. <coughs> Excuse me. But the question I have is how he will look against Hamburg because Hamburg, um, are a team that have put in the most crosses of all teams. Actually, Every fourth pass of them in the uh, Bundesliga is a long ball, which which means mm-hmm. they they are trying to uh, counter attack and will probably also try to get behind Dortmund's line. And um, also, yeah, as I said, they they, they play in a lot of crosses, which means uh, it will be up to the fullbacks to prevent that. And Zagadou so far defensively has not impressed me to the extent that I would have confidence in him to really defend as a left back. He is very good when when Dortmund are dominant and they can advance their fullbacks and they they don't really need them too much in in their last resort defending as Peter Bosch calls it. But overall I've been impressed with Zagadou. I think I've said it often enough here on, on the show that uh, you know for makeshift left back, actual centre back he has shown a lot of intelligence and uh, a lot of uh, yeah ingenuity to to be on that position. We mustn't forget the kid is freaking 18. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> He's an absolute beast, isn't he? 18. God, I was the puniest boy in the world at 18. You're like that. You think they, they, they build a big these days, these boys, don't they? God, yeah. absolute yeah. tank. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but I actually wanted to make uh, one more point on on Yamolenko because uh, mm-hmm. Hamburg are also the team that allowed the most crosses, and I thought we we uh, we really so well against Cologne that uh, he knows how to cross a ball. I mean, this one uh, cross for Philip with the outside of his boot, I think it was it was absolutely spectacular, and I don't think there was a one-off. I mean, that the what was it second? No, the third goal where. Uh, Dortmund won a penalty once again, thanks to VAR. It uh, was another Yamolenko cross, and I think we'll see that more often. And uh, also in the first half, the very first dribble of the Yamolenko in the, in the box where he put, I think, Lukas Klünter on his mm-hmm. bottom. Um, yep. that, that was also very, very good. And, and you see there's a player who knows what he is doing. And I really do wonder... How well Yamolenko will be doing once the automatism will kick in and he actually gets to gel with his teammates. And the same goes for Maximilian Philipp, a very tidy finish uh, for that 5-0. And I was uh, really impressed overall with, with his game. Yeah, he he's maybe not the flashiest player, but I think he makes a lot of intelligent runs and uh, he has... Uh, very good work rate. He makes a lot of good defensive decisions as well, just by his positioning. So I think Maximilian Philipp is a great utility player. And uh, if you need to give a guy like Christian Pulisic a rest, I, I think Maximilian Philipp can be, especially in a, in a game against a bottom team like Cologne, are right now. He is a very good uh, player to come in and, and do a job. And that's just what he did. So I'm very pleased with that game. But uh, I told it to. I, I already said to my wife, if we need one indicator of how bad Cologne were, is that Gonzalo Castro had an excellent game. <laughs> Good he was point. Dreadful against Spurs, wasn't he? God, uh, dear. Is Ter- him and Dahoud absolutely terrible? But there you go. The the um, since you already talked about Hamburg, the seamless transition from the usual current. Host. Congratulations, Stefan, get married. So you know. As yes. Well. Yes. yes. I didn't Officially. know. That, what episode that was, but there you go. But there you go. Congratulations. Well, we didn't record a show where we were getting married. <laughs> yes, that, that would have been a bit too much. That would have been too much. Um, Our, it, although we had a very special guest at our, at our wedding. I don't know if I, if I told you that, but uh, we uh, we celebrated where, uh, or not celebrated, but uh, yeah, basically you can sell, call it a celebration. We had our dinner at an Italian restaurant in, in Dortmund and uh, Pierre-Marie Aubameyang stopped by to pick up his uh, dinner or lunch or whatever it was uh, before he hopped on the plane and, and flew to, I think, Paris or so. So, uh, yeah, he actually is a witness of uh, us getting married, I guess. Only so, the best for Stefan. Exactly, yeah. You know, Obama shows up. But anyway. Moving on to Hamburg. Uh, Stefan, I think it was you that mentioned, uh, before the Hatta match that he would, that you expected that Paul Dada would instruct his players to exploit Dortmund's left hand side with Zagadou and Philip. They did not do that. I consider Gistol a more tactically adept manager in an attacking sense than Paul Dada. I do expect them to try to exploit that, given they have even more pace than Hatta do on the wings. So long balls, trying to exploit the big, big, big gaps behind our defensive line. Do you expect to see that from Hamburg this time? Yeah, as I already already said, Hamburg so far played 114 crosses into the box of their opponents thus far. Freaking hell. Uh, so yes, I I do expect that, and and again, Hamburg are not the kind of team that like to play cleanly out of the back. What they do is just they lump it forward and hope to win a second ball. And when your opponent stands as high as Dortmund, you may as well just lump it behind their backline and, and try to get in behind there. So I have a hundred percent confidence in Hamburg grabbing a goal or two against Dortmund just because they can and they're Hamburg and they always also get lucky against Dortmund. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my two cents. I expect Hamburg to exploit Dortmund's, uh, problems a little bit more than Cologne and I think there was this one instance where Cologne actually broke through Dortmund's defense and uh, there was a pass to Bittencourt which dragged him out wide but you know in that instance I thought any good team and 
Hamburg, of course, aren't a very good team, but still any any good team or with a little bit more luck or precision would have probably scored from that moment, but Cologne did not. And uh, we have had similar situations with Berlin, with Wolfsburg and with Freiburg, where they just couldn't yeah, punish Dortmund while Tottenham could. And uh, yeah, I, I still think there's always the danger that... Uh, a team scores against Dortmund that way. But on the other hand, Dortmund so far in the Bundesliga have allowed the least amount of shots. And if you look at their expected goals against, I don't have the number in front of me, but I looked at it earlier. It's also the lowest number, which means they, in other words, have the best defense in my book. So, you know, four clean sheets aren't there by coincidence. So I still think Dortmund should have enough to beat Hamburg. However, I don't think it will be a fifth consecutive clean sheet. So there you have it, Matt. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are your expectations coming up against uh, Hamburg, who also with Bobby Wood? This is the other thing. They put in so many crosses. Bobby Wood is not exactly a big striker known for headed goals. But that uh, long pass into the back of a defense, that's what Bobby Wood feasts on. So what are your expectations against Hamburg? I'm trying to think of the last time Dortmund won in Hamburg. You know, it's not a happy hunting ground over the last few Last years. season, actually. <laughs> but the previous years, they got some absolute tonkins. So um, uh, to be fair, it is a good tack if, if, if they're a direct side, putting it beyond the, the two fullbacks that will be pushing up at every opportunity could give them space. Dortmund need to um, not be as so rash in attack from what I saw against the Spurs game because they, they were quite uh, aggressive and leaving too many gaps. I don't think uh, Hamburg are on the same level as Spurs in exploiting them. And it depends really. How, do they want to keep up the... How important is, is the clean sheet to them? Ten goals scored, none conceded. It would be very good five games gone uh, without conceding a goal. I think Dortmund are always going to score goals. Do they look more solid this season? In the opening four games, maybe, yes. But I don't think they've played anybody who can particularly hurt them, apart from Spurs, and we saw from the score from that point of view. So, um, how long is the Smelter out for it as well, anyway? I know Durham's out for a long time, but how long is Smelter out Schmelzer for? Smelter should be out for four more weeks now. So, so, so he's going to have to play quite a bit at left-back then, um, from that point of view. So, now, again, the confidence should be high in the Bundesliga. Um, they can go back to the top of the table if they win, which I think is always a, a good start. And I think I read a, a stat somewhere that last time Dortmund started the season with four clean sheets, they went on to win the league. So maybe that's a good sign. But what are you going to get from Hamburg? Very inconsistent. They're celebrating like they won the league after winning the first two, and then they've lost the next two without scoring. So very inconsistent side. But Dortmund should have enough to, to, to put them put them to the sword, really, and pick up three points. Fair enough. So let's uh, transition straight to that. Uh, Matthew, what is your scoreline prediction? I love a clean sheet. You know how much I love a clean sheet. Oh, I, I think um, we'll go... Um, Dortmund will win two goals to nil. Stefan? Well, since this is the 200th episode, I would have said 20 nothing. but since this is not realistic in football, I'm going with my good old housewife tip and say 2-1 Dortmund. Yeah, I was going to go 2-1 as well, but um, I'm going to go 3-1. So we'll we'll all see see what happens, but I I don't believe in a clean sheet. I think somebody will break at some point. So uh, that wraps up that portion of the show. We will take a very quick break, and then we will do a a little nostalgic look back over the last two hundred episodes in five years. Alrighty, so uh, now this is episode number 200 of The Yellow Wall. Matthias Huck, Matthew Jard, Stefan Butzko here. And um, I decided, I, I put together a few questions, sent it out to the guys to kind of contemplate well ahead of time of recording. <laughs> so no one's, you know, kind of caught blindsided right away. And uh, it's not going to be overly long, but, uh, you know, here are the questions real quick. Uh, Stefan, we'll start with you. Over the last, and we're going to go five years because that's how long we've been doing this. Over the last five years, what has been the most memorable moment 
on the pitch for you? Well, I thought long and hard on my way to Whole Foods. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess I have to say, and uh, there are a lot of different moments to choose from, and uh, I have a lot of ideas. But I think looking back, the, the most memorable moment for me on, on, on the pitch in, in the positive but also negative flight is the, uh, is the Champions League final. Because, uh, I was seven years old in, in 1997, so I couldn't really take that in. But, uh, yeah, we were already, the yellow wallpaper was already around for the Champions League final. And, uh, that was the biggest game for Dortmund and, and for me, one of the most intense games as well. So for me, if I think back to a lot of games, the Malaga moment, of course, brings to mind, but I, I would overall say the 90 minutes at Wembley back then. Those are very memorable to me. What about you, Matthias? Uh, you know, I, I also thought, you know, obviously the the thrashing of Bayern in the DFB Pokal final, the Malaga match, uh, but I'd have to say uh, Jürgen Klopp's goodbye uh, was one of the most memorable one because I've been a... a was it on the pitch, though? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the on the pitch, at the end, last home match, all that kind of stuff. It, um, you know, saying goodbye to the yellow wall. And, uh, over all the years that I've been a Dortmund supporter, and it's been a very, 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 very long, a few decades now, um, I've never seen a manager, and this includes on my Hitzvet, who was so deeply embedded in and embraced the culture of Borussia Dortmund, its supporters, the region, and everything, like Jürgen Klopp did. Um, obviously, it, he has greater ties to Mainz. He has ties with Liverpool, but it's not the same. And that that really impressed me, and, and Jürgen Klopp will always get the benefit of the doubt from me, no matter what he does, because of what he did at Dortmund. So that would have to be the most memorable one. Obviously, match-wise, it's hard to beat the Malaga match because it was just crazy, but that would be mine. Uh, Matt, how about you? Yeah, the Malaga game was... Um, I was at the Champions League final, so that was that was an experience. Um, but, but the Malaga game, bizarrely, if you listen back, whatever podcast it was, I uh, my good friend uh, Stefan Uberzal's family was staying down the road from where I live, and I met them for the game. So I'd never met these people before. Great people, and we're watching the game, and then you're 2-1 down with eight minutes to go, and you think it's all over. So you're thinking, well, lovely to meet you, but we're out, that's it. So, But, of course, the game, when it went on, and the uh, was it Royce who got the second one then, and then so you're on your feet a little bit. Then you're seeing grown people who've only met two hours earlier jumping and hugging and jumping each other's arms when, when um, Santana scored the, the winner from that point of view. So that always... Um, live close to me because I was with fellow Dortmund fans in England watching the game where they were five miles from where I live watching the game one of those bizarre evenings that probably the, the day before I didn't know where I was going to watch the game when I met up with them and, and their game that's a, a classic game isn't it so how how football can turn on a on a sixpence so to speak and Dortmund were lucky to win and went on to the final as well and of course maybe the, the Real Madrid 4-1 when Lewandowski got four as well that was another amazing Amazing game. And I like that would have never happened with VAR, though. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah, that's no, true. That's, that's, true. That's, that's, that's football. So you've got to make the most of those moments as well. So, yeah, it's, I've had, you know, I don't go as over as I'd like to anymore. A couple of times a season, but those a few years, five years ago, we were going three, four times, so quite a bit, and traveling through Europe. So I've had many a great time following Dortmund, and there'll be more to come, but maybe that. Not at the game, but watching it with fellow Dortmund fans, the Malaga game stands out to me. So, Matt, what is the most memorable moment in the past five years off the pitch for you? Uh, oh, that is a the million dollar question off the pitch. Um, in probably a sad way, the, the growth of Dortmund in that front of view, the football hipster, I suppose, as as the world becomes a smaller place, with you can see football all over the place. You've seen Dortmund grow from being a a big little club, if you understand what I'm, I'm going from to to be in a club that, you know, you can wander around the streets of where I live and all over places and you see people wearing a, a Dortmund shirt because Dortmund are a club that everybody's um, got a love for, I think, they from the, the supporters and how they play the football. So it's, and I think this is probably going to be shot down, the brand of Borussia Dortmund's grown off the field, which I suppose it is these days that um, you can see as many, you know, sh Dortmund shirts around um uh, being worn as well as some of some of the top sides in the Premier League because um, 
Dortmund are a world-renowned club and Jurgen Klopp and the success they've done has brought them forward. So maybe it's getting Dortmund out to the to the wider masses that all over the world, you know, it's a sexy club to support and that's the, the, the way to go, I think. And Stefan, what has been your most memorable moment off the pitch in the last five years? That Matthew Jarrett no longer thinks that Dortmund are a hipster club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. Again, this is a this is a really hard question to answer, and uh, there are no wrong answers, I guess. But if if we really look at it, it has to be the attack on the lives of Borussia Dortmund. To me, that's probably something I will also think back to in 30, 40 years or so. And I'm still very, very glad that everyone survived and that Mark Bartra is okay and uh, can still play football. Because to me, that, that was just so weird by the way it developed, how the whole day unfolded. And basically, you learned the next day that there were metal pins yeah, making their way into the headrests of the bus and you basically learned, yep, this was a tech designed to, to kill the players. And of course, by now we know it, it was an attack designed to manipulate the stock market. And uh, yeah, to me, that was all very surreal because of, uh, yeah, I was I was in the stadium while it happened and uh, I don't know how, how long it took until <laughs> I was on the phone with CNN. And, and and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, I, I think sadly that's a very negative spin I have here. But, uh, you know, it's it's very memorable to me. And I, I think of, of these five years off the field that, of things that happened. I mean, there were a lot of things that happened. But uh, the most memorable is probably that horrid, terrible attack. And And I will go with that attack too, but I'll go a different way. And it is that response... Yeah, the, the response of the Dortmund supporters for the Monaco supporters um, in inviting them in their homes and giving them places to stay and all that kind of stuff. So it was a, a horrible act. Uh, thankfully, no lives were lost. But out of that tragedy, you saw, like you oftentimes see when tragedy strikes, you see um, the great depths of humanity. Um, you know, we've seen it here in the United States over the last month or so with the two hurricanes that hit. Um, with tragedy, people band together. It doesn't matter, uh, your nationality, your language, your, uh, gender, race, sexual orientation, political views. It just doesn't matter. You're all human. And it showed the humanity. And that, for me, stands out from that event more than anything else. Um, so now <clears throat> that was all very emotional and, and so on. We will go to favorite I'm going to listen player. back to number one now. Podcast number <laughs> one, if you can still get it online. So yeah, from that point of view, uh, shouldn't it? Yeah. Favorite player over the past five years, Matthew. It's going to, be, um, my favorite player, um, is going to be a thing. Unfortunately, he's no longer at Dortmund and he's at their hated rivals, but I'm seeing Lewandowski, um, become sort of a world-class player. And he's that, I loved it when he played for Dortmund, the way he held the ball up, his strength, and how he sort of came Tom from sort of when he first joined, he was quite a puny sort of player. But now he's an absolute man, man sort of a man. When I was at the game when he scored that hatchet against Bayern to win the cup and how strong he, he's become. It's just, I, I, I'm a Lewandowski fan. I think he's a, a superb striker. And I see, I think he's his 100th game for uh, Munich at the weekend and he's got like 83 goals or something. So he's at his absolute peak, but he, we, Dortmund saw him as well. An absolute great, great player. And, People may think it's, it's wrong of me to say that after he moved to, to Bayern Munich. But um, Lewandowski, what Dortmund turned him into, arguably one of the best striker in the world, in my opinion. So I always love watching Lewandowski. What a good player he is. Stefan, how about you? Uh, I don't know. I'm a, I think I also have to go with uh, Lewandowski. Although I must say from the very first moment on, uh, I was really impressed by the pace of Aubameyang. And so... <laughs> all the opportunities that, that open up for you if you have a player with, with such pace. So, um, yeah, I guess it's also somewhere in the striker department, although there's also, uh, I don't know, I was always a very big fan of uh, 2012 Mario Götze, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, if he wasn't injured all the time, it would be Marco Reus because he is 
also a very workless player, but I, I, I think overall in, on those five years, Lewandowski has it, is it for me too. Now I know, Matthias, you will have a bit more of a bit of, uh, a more emotional choice than, than hmm. us two. Well, I was going to go with Marcos Foyna, uh, but I decided oh, not to. Oh, please. Uh, or Antonio da Silva. Uh, yeah, right. Silva was good. Lucas Barrios. Right, no, for for me. So everybody, if you go way back, and and we're talking first year of doing this, I expressed my love, undying love for our sporting director Michael <laughs> Zuzi Talk. Um, to me, he is my favorite player of all time, and will always be that for Dortmund. Was he still playing then when when this started? I can't remember. No, no, not quite. But he was there when we won the Champions League. Um, he was the captain. And it's because he is a true, quote-unquote, Dortmund Jung, essentially. The next closest thing to that... Uh, See, that's what I meant. Me, <laughs> and I remember watching him play the first time when he was 16 years old. Can only be Nuri Shahin. And yes, he, you know, he was two years away. He went to Real Madrid and then had that weird loan spell at Liverpool, but came back. And, you know, there was an article, an interview about him, about his love for Dortmund, um, that really came out after that, uh, bombing. And when he you was written gone, by himself, written by himself. Yes. Yeah. And he talked about how when he was gone, when he was in Madrid, when he was in Liverpool, that when he came back to Dortmund, he realized what he was missing. It wasn't just the club. It wasn't all this other thing. It was home. Dortmund is home to him. And uh, as someone who is away from home, living in the United States, that that resonates very deeply. So I have to go with Nuri Shahin. There is nobody that even comes close. My personal eyes. So... Can I can I say one last thing? Yeah. To to put it all into context, I actually are one of those people who don't really have favorite players. So picking a name is really tough for me because, after all, I, I don't really have one where I'm saying, "Yep, that's my favorite player." So, it just doesn't really exist for me. Yeah. It, probably the next one after that for me may have been Kevin Großkreutz, believe it or not, because he just bled the club. Uh, it's just unfortunate. I expected you to he... say Cuba, though. <laughs> Cuba, just because when he got signed, I didn't know who he was, and I had no idea how to spell his name. Um, but no, it's it's for me, it's Nubi Shahin. So, um, two more last questions. One that I didn't send you guys, but Stefan brought it up uh, pre-pod. We will cover that in a moment. But where do you guys see Dortmund in the next five years? So by the time we hit episode number 400... Um, Stefan, will we have won the Bundesliga? Well, <laughs> I can I can just say yes because how the hell would you predict that? I mean, uh, Bayern will probably win it for the next ten years, so no. But uh, yeah, you you never know what happens. So for the sake of optimism, I would just say yes. Without I, and I I will agree with you there. As as a club, as Matt said, the brand will grow even more. Money will come in. I think the Bundesliga title will be won in the next five years. Matt, do you share our optimism? Uh, yeah, I probably think if they keep um, the players, the Dortmund uh, selling clubs. So no. <laughs> but one of the things, the football landscape has changed in the last year, hasn't it? With the amount of transfer fees that teams are playing. And from a, from a buying point of view, they've got to be careful that they're not going to be put in the second bracket if they're not willing to spend the ridiculous amounts of money that's going on. I presume all they want is the Champions League and will they think... You're, you're starting to sound a lot like Robert Lewandowski, actually. Yeah, exactly. Right yeah, exactly. What is, what is after winning the Bundesliga five years on the spin, um, they haven't spent that much money. got Hamas Rodriguez, who's, who's a good player. But, you, you know, you've fallen behind the Barcelona's, the Paris Saint-Germain. So maybe that Bayern Munich will concentrate more on the Champions League if they can win it which maybe, you know, it's even tougher to win it, I think, these days. Um, and then it could open up the Bundesliga for Dortmund. So um, as long as they continue to grow and make players better, which is always uh, a good thing. They, you know, I can't think of many players that have come to Dortmund off the top of my head who, who were big name and then failed miserably. They've, you know, the players they've cut through the last couple of years. I, I can't see why not. As long as they're stable off the pitch um, in the hierarchy, and the managerial stakes, there's no reason not to. So maybe they've had their last 
a few years ago. But yeah, why not? I think football is changing as a as a landscape. They may not be even the the top breadths of all the the big players I've just mentioned, but I'm sure they'll be challenging it in the Bundesliga. Okay, last question before we head on out of here. And um, this one I didn't write, so I'm sorry if this kind of blindsides you, Mr. Gerard. But of the 200 episodes, uh, what was your favorite episode, if you can recall? Well, um, well, it had to be episode 100 when we had uh, Uli Hess on, I suppose, wasn't it? So um, It was episode 50. Was it 50? See, there you go. Because I, maybe I wasn't 100. <laughs> episode 50, there you go. What an encyclopedic... encyclopedic knowledge that Stefan's got. Yeah, Uli Hess, what a legend he is. So um, great to talk to him about bits and pieces. So um, five years goes a long time. I can't can't even remember when I got the call from you, um, Matthias, to do this sort of thing. But uh, five five years is a long time in football, as they say. But I'll go episode 50. Yeah, let's go Uli Hess one was good. And every episode was good, I'm sure. After I've left, after 80-odd or something, it got downhill. But um, (laughs) from that point, the ones I was involved with must have been good. (laughs) <laughs> Stefan, what about you? Favorite episode? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I've edited far too many. And uh, <laughs> so basically, I, I had to listen to almost every episode twice. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think my favorite episode where I personally had the most fun was the one that never aired. That was yep. the uh, Christmas episode where Matthew, Jared, and Matthias and everyone us three, we were reciting Christmas carols and uh, oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. and, and poems and, and whatnot. That was a very fun episode. And uh, it was a technical glitch. But I think after so many years, we can we can say what it was. It was Matthew who unplugged his microphone mid-recording and then Audacity stopped picking up his audio feed. And then we, we couldn't really air it. And there was no safety net. To, uh, that was the beginning of the end for me, wasn't it? Really? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that, but uh, <laughs> it was such a shame because it was uh, one of the the best. I, I don't know if best, but at least funnest episodes. And uh, yeah, so for me, that was the best episode, and it's kind of sad that it never aired. So, Maybe we can do it at Christmas this year. Maybe we can <laughs> sing some carols. Bring me out of retirement one more time. There you go. Christmas, we shall. Christmas 2017 episode. <laughs> So for me, um, as the the guy who kind of started all this crap, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's, uh, you know, I was thinking also the Christmas one, but then since I've been very reflective about this, Ah, I'd I'd have to put thought into this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This was my baby. Um, I'm going to have to go with episode number one. That was my favorite episode. It was probably the worst. Um, Matt was on. I'm trying to remember if Rob Turner was on at that point or if we had Terry on. I can't, I can't remember. Honestly, I can't remember because it was so long ago. But I remember it was in the basement that I recorded it and didn't really know what we were doing. And uh, it was kind of one of those I had um, met with uh, uh, John Hartley in Dortmund that previous summer. And I said, gosh, you know, uh, I, cause I was on his and Terry's, um, Bundesliga lounge podcast, I think twice. And I went, oh, this is really cool. And, and there are all these club podcasts in the United States for MLS teams. Like, wow, well, there's nothing really for Dortmund in English. And I love this club. And this was kind of pre the big boom that happened. And I said, well, you know, let's, let's do this thing. Let's try it. See what happens. You know, I thought, you know, 20 episodes in and that'll be that, but 200 episodes in the bag. And I have to commend Stefan for really stepping up and taking not just the podcast, but also the website to the next level, uh, that I do to work. Uh, and in that time, having a second child just couldn't put in and uh, we wouldn't be at episode number 200 without Stefan and guys like Lars Polman and Konstantin Ekna and so on um, and, and many more contributors over the years that I am forgetting right now. Luca Giel, uh, Louis Ambrose, Mark Ambrose. Chadwick. There, there are a lot of names to be named if yep. you run down the credits of the Yellow Wall. Yep. But uh, so number one was my favorite. Number 200 will be my next favorite. And so I want to say thank you to Stefan. I may have started this thing, but you've really taken it on and you've grown it um, beyond what it was before. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. I love doing this, although I know sometimes it's a lot of time. 
a lot of uh, <laughs> editing, but uh, overall it's always fun. Uh, and I have to say thank you to uh, Matthias, obviously, for yeah starting it. And uh, of course, also to Matthew Jarrett, because I think, Matthew, it was you who had the uh, brilliant quote-unquote idea to bring me on as a guest in episode, what was it, nine or eight? I don't, I don't remember, because I was one of the first listeners of the Yellow Wall Pod. I still, I still remember laying there in my bunk bed at home <laughs> in my old room and listening to the Yellow Wall Pod and... Uh, uh, basically thinking of things to, to tweet to, to Matthew to uh, send a comment or so because I was uh, I was you know when the Yellow Wallpot started I wasn't on from the beginning and I basically was just a fan of the show and I thought well this is a great project I love it and uh, you know I always thought how great would it be if, if uh, the uh, Holy Gospel on Borussia Dortmund would go out into the entire world and the English format is perfect for that and uh, yeah I was really honored when you guys brought me on and uh, I didn't really expect to uh, to be a, a permanent fixture from now on. sorry can I have a cut of your wages from now on after bringing you on <laughs> uh, my agent's fee yeah <laughs> The, the commission, as always, is the currywurst, Matthew. <laughs> so when you when you when you come to Dortmund, you'll you'll get that one. But uh, yeah, yeah. To 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 finish my my very long episode two hundred two hundred speech. Um, it, it's kind of funny that the Yellow Wall Pot, uh, in many ways, changed my life. I mean, the Uli Hesse episode was already mentioned, and uh, if it wasn't uh, for me inviting him and uh, basically having this little off the record talk, I would have never started for ESPN because. Uh, because of inviting him, I yeah met him during a reading at the Westfalenstadion, and then he basically just asked me whether I can write in English, and I said yes, and that's how I got the job at ESPN. Of course, I still had to write a pitch and everything, and they had to look at my writing and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, that was in 2013, and uh, changed my life, changed uh, basically my 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 entire work and. Uh, it's it's funny because I still host the Yellow Wallpot, but I would right now not really consider myself as a Borussia Dortmund fan anymore. Of course, I still have sympathies for the club, but it's not like I'm 100% emotionally as I grew up supporting the club. It's just, I guess, the the professional distance you gain after after so many years of writing about the club. It's just, I guess, it's just normal. But it's it's funny how how that changed for me, and so yeah, for me. The Yellow Wallpots uh, changed a lot of things in my life, and uh, I have to say I'm actually quite proud that we hit the 200-episode landmark. I think that's uh, a lot of time and effort put in, and uh, I'm, I'm great of the quality of the show, how it's done, and, and uh, the panel, the sort of guys we have on, and I would say that I'm friends with all of them, so... For me, it's it's great. So I don't I don't really need any thank yous because uh, the yellow pot is giving a lot of things for me back. So um, yeah, I can only thank you guys for uh, inviting me and, and coming up with the idea and <laughs> letting me take over because that also happened. So um, yeah, I think the biggest thank you has to go to the listeners of all because they support us through all these times and uh, yeah are ever-growing, so to everyone out there, thank you for listening. Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's from supporters for supporters is really the idea behind it. So um, before we get out of here, of course, uh, we all have to let everybody know where they can find us. Matt, where can people find you? I know you're not quite as active on Twitter anymore as you used to be, but where can people find yeah, you? Yeah, I'm still on Twitter. To? At Matthew underscore Jared. I am involved in another podcast. If you're interested in Kent non-league football, which there might not be anybody out there, but I'm, in, I'm involved in another podcast that I record weekly because uh, I'm into my non-league football and things like that in, in England. So if you can find that one, that's a Kent NL podcast on Twitter as well. But uh, I really enjoyed it. It's been good to be back on. So, and, and if you, I, I really look for, if I can get on for the Christmas episode and we can sing some songs, I'd be really grateful. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. And Stefan, how can people get in touch with you? They can get in touch with me at Stefan Botsko on Twitter as well. And uh, 
I'm I'm glad that uh, Matthew has found his uh, niche where he can be the hipster that he is at heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I I I'm really I, I really like what you're doing there, Matthew, with your non with non league football, and I know it's a lot of work you do there as well, and I know you have a lot of uh, other stuff on your plate and your family and, and so on. So uh, I can understand that you have less time for the yellow wall pot, but uh, your other projects are just as yeah. Well, I say definitely want to be on at Christmas. I'll Get my voice going over and we can have a Christmas sing song. Perfect. 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 It's a date then. Uh, you can also get in touch with everybody here at the Yellow Wall on Twitter at Yellow Wall Pod on Facebook, Yellow Wall Pod. Um, you can listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud and iTunes. Please leave a rating. And also, if you want to, you can contribute on Patreon. And I want to thank all the patrons of Patreon for your continued support. It definitely helps us upgrade equipment. Last Poiman was the most recent upgrade of his technical equipment so we could bring you the best possible sound out there. So from all of us to all of you, thank you once again for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Hello all and welcome to the Yellow Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Matthias Souk. With me this week is my co-host, Matt Gerrard. Good evening everybody, all good. And looking forward to a new start of the Bundesliga season and hopefully uh, we'll get plenty of listeners to the Yellow Wall Podcast.